Today's program is brought to you by Cane Vineyard and Winery, a Napa Valley winery committed to respecting the soil and dedicated to the creation of three Cabernet blends. For more information, visit Cane5.com. Hey, what's up? This is Jack Inslee, host of Full Service Radio. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this show, visit HeritageRadioNetwork.org for thousands more. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Sharp and Hot. I am your host, Chef Emily Peterson, coming to you live from Roberta's Pizza at Bushwick in Bushwick, Brooklyn. This is episode 57 of our series. It is the first episode that I have eaten at Roberta's before going on the air, and I'm wondering if that was a bad idea. I was so hungry when I got here that I just wolfed down a meatball hero from uh, Roberta's To Go, which is next door, and I smuggled it into the backyard and sat at a picnic table. And it was so delicious. It was like eating a pillow. Everything was like salty and garlicky and delightful. Now that I'm sitting down, I'm thinking... Hopefully, I won't have to cough through this. Uh, so if I, uh, if I have to say, excuse me, I apologize for that in advance. But I can highly recommend Roberta's to go. It was um, excellent. If you have the opportunity to call ahead, that might spare you the 12 to 15 minute wait time. That was my only downside. But the food was amazing and totally worth the wait. Um, also, if you're listening live, today is Election Day. And Election Day is... Um, Something that's very close to my heart. I worked as an election day volunteer, like polling place person when I was an undergraduate. And I know that it's a midterm election and that if you live in New York or other places where it seems like a done deal, that going to vote or making the time just seems like a waste of time, especially if you're going to have to stand in line somewhere. And my really strong belief is that it doesn't. Of course, I want you to vote for a Democrat like uh, that shouldn't come as any big surprise to anybody. But just going out to vote guarantees that the right to vote stays a right that we get to have forever. And as people stop going to vote, then the argument can be made that money shouldn't be spent on holding an election day at all. And I realize that that's kind of a leap. But in the you know, as time goes by, that's the kind of thing that people start wanting to take money away from. There are people who are running in this election right now who want to shut down the EPA because they feel like it's not doing a good job protecting people and that corporations are much better at policing themselves than the government. And why would a corporation go out of their way to make anyone sick? And when I you know, was listening to Election Day coverage on the public radio station that I listen to, which is WNYC in the car, it just... You know, I want to make sure that everyone takes the five minutes or 20 minutes or hour that it takes out of your day. For me, it was under five minutes because no one was at the polling place. But I took my kid and he charmed all the employees, you know, all the volunteers. I guess actually you get paid. I think you make like $20 an hour, but you got to commit to sitting there for the entire day. So you go make them smile, cast your vote and guarantee that that right stays in place for generations to come. And my kid has never missed an election day. And he stuck an I voted sticker onto my bandana when we left the polling place this morning. And I am walking around Brooklyn wearing it proudly. Um, And speaking of my local... NPR station, WNYC, I wanted to acknowledge the passing of a public radio personality, kind of a pioneer in the talk radio um, world, Tom Mazzoli, who was half of Click and Clack, the Tapper Brothers, who had car talk on NPR, and it's been syndicated on millions and millions of stations. And it just, I, I everyone's sort of like, 
I'm surprised. I think it says a lot about who my friends are that everyone that I'm talking to is like, God, I just don't know. Like, it's so sad. I don't know where to put my feelings about that. And I just wanted to say a couple of things. One, their show was so hugely successful. But before it got to be national on NPR, they worked on it as a segment on another um, weekend show. It's just like a little clip for 10 years and it wasn't until that amount of time and the refinement happened that they then got an hour long slot and then they got put on national broadcast and that incredible amount of dedication and passion to something that you do for the love of it even if they you know they had they had their shtick and they could be a little grating at times but in general i love listening to that show even though they haven't recorded a new episode in years now and most people don't know that because they've just expertly edited what they have back together again and knit it together in thematic shows in a way that is seamless and really entertaining. My favorite episode ever of all time, I will never forget like having tears streaming down my face while I was listening to it driving, was someone called in because he couldn't keep his goats from jumping up on top of his car. And he was wondering if there was a way he could wire his car to his electric fence to electrocute or electrify the car so that when the goats jumped on top of it, they would get a gentle but you know persistent zap to keep them from jumping on the car. And it was the way that they, first of all, the seriousness of this person's question, I hope is reflected in my you know aim to never make you guys feel dumb when you ask me a question. There's really no such thing as a dumb question. And in having them do this question and answer format show, they really let anybody ask anything. And it was, you know, sometimes it was like my kids going to college and what can I get them that if they crash into something, they, you know, the car will be okay and the kid will be okay. But, you know, more often than not, they were allowed to have t- prime time radio space to answer questions like can I electrify my car from keeping my goats from jumping on it i just uh googled to see if i could find that clip to play for you and what i came up with was on the car talk website they have put all of the animal questions into one website so that you can read all of the you know how do i keep the squirrels out an animal has died in my car there are spiders in my car and just the years and years and years of dedication and love that they put into that radio show which should be noted was a second career after tom survived a life-threatening car accident and made the decision that he was never going to do work that he wasn't passionate about anymore. Because at the time, he was working in a job that he just was not excited about. He and his brother had graduated MIT. And there were other things that happened in the meantime, but it was a leap to, maybe a slow a slow leap, a two-year leap to opening up a DIY car repair shop, and then the idea for Car Talk was born. And I just wanted to acknowledge his the brother they're both their brilliance but his passing and the other thing that i think and i don't know i don't want to get too dark but i think it's also one of the first people in a generation that i kind of belong to that has passed away and so like when johnny carson died i was too young to get what johnny carson was by a couple of years but now like there are icons from my own adulthood and my own childhood that I'm like, oh, I felt like I knew that person. That person was a companion of mine from the radio. And now those people are starting to age and it brings your one's own uh, mortality into focus. And so I think that in a selfish way, there's that uh, element of it too. But anyway, my condolences to the whole Car Talk team. 
On a lighter note, we got some love from Eater this week, which was very exciting. That's never happened before. They do a pullout of five things you missed on Heritage Radio this week, and we were one of them. I interviewed with Rosie Schaff last week, and I was so excited when I got the, you know, the tweet that I had been mentioned. And so I just want to thank everyone. If you are finding Sharp and Hot for the first time as a result of that shout-out, welcome. And uh, that's kind of a good segue into my guest, who is sitting here in front of me. She is a radio veteran, and I know that because anytime she wants to chuckle at anything I've just said, she turns her head. And <laughs> 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 so, Maria Bernardis from Greek Alicious, welcome. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to uh, to be doing my first radio interview. In New York City. Welcome. <laughs> so tell me, tell me your life story. You sent me your uh, your e- email, and I was just fascinated. So take me from the top. Uh, well, basically, I did what any good little Greek girl would do, and that was study accounting and taxation law, <laughs> <laughs> as you do. And I was basically doing taxation law for twenty two years, um, believe it or not. And then, sort of in two thousand four, on the island of Mykonos, I had this epiphany. Um, that there was something more to life and I needed to sort of find my passion and pursue that. And food came up, which was something I'd always done because I grew up on a Greek island cooking with my grandmother, you know, since the age of three years old. Um, Yep, so basically I decided right there and then food was where I wanted to be, tax law was not me. And that's when I started writing my first book and, and then I went sort of back to Sydney and I decided to start the first uh, Greek cookery school in Australia. So you, did you grow up in Australia predominantly? Predominantly in Australia, although Greek was my first language and, um, you know, I lived on the Greek island until about 11 years old. Okay. Um, and it was a very isolated island, no electricity, no TV. Until you were 11, no uh, electricity? Exactly. So when I went to Sydney and I saw these switches and oh my flushing toilets, it was all about, it was really scary. And cars, because of course we had the donkey for transportation. And it should be noted, people can't see you on the radio. You are a young woman <laughs> not that young I think it's the whole diet that I talk about the you know uh, I, what I preach I practice and I think it's good because I'm validation that you can look young and feel young uh, and not look your age right. if you you know sort of adopt the ancient Greek wisdoms to longevity so essentially that's it and then sort of Greek Alicia's progressed into catering private chefing services um uh, sort of doing pop-up uh, restaurants and all sorts of things it was like you know th- these different sort of offers were coming and uh, writing was always my passion so I continued to write books and articles and then I had sort of you know my own sort of radio station uh SBS radio where I concentrate on doing a show discussing uh the origin of ingredients and the origin of recipes you know something that a lot of people have forgotten about and uh, and also discussing the health benefits that were noted of the ingredients by my ancient ancestors such as Hippocrates and um you know many others like Pythagoras he wasn't just a a mathematician and um and so people were getting passionate about 
about this knowledge. They were saying, oh, my God, we didn't know that the tomato came from Peru and how it went to Greece and Italy and how it sort of was introduced into pizza, as we're seeing out here, gorgeous pizzas <laughs> in front of us with lots of tomato. So that's why the tomato came to mind. And, um, and I guess my mission and why I was guided to come here and why I left Sydney, which was a very big de uh, decision, and it was be be basically for me a leap of faith. How long just, ago was that? Well, I've been here since July. So I'm so new. Yeah, okay. so really new, really new, very excited. But I've, I've been to New York so many times. I was here every six months okay, spending weeks. And so I'd made the decision that um, this is where I needed to be and this is where I'm finding people are open-minded and, and want to hear these ancient wisdoms. And, and they're sort of saying to me, well, our, we've got this health epidemic People mm -hmm. are so un un unhealthy, they're not well. So something's not right. And through my own personal experience of illnesses, because I, I suffered many years of illnesses and in hospital, so what I did, I used myself as the guinea pig and adopted those ancient wisdoms and practiced them. And I found that I was able to heal my own illnesses mm -hmm. and then just find inner peace. And I thought, my goodness, I need to tell people about this, that sure. there are other alternatives and food being the main one. I have a friend who <clears throat> struggles with weight and was being cleared by a health insurance company to have surgery to mitigate their weight so that they could lose weight. And it was a one stop from going to the doctor and saying, you qualify based on your body mass index to the knife. And what was fascinating to me was that there was no uh, conversation of, let's see, how about we give you a nutritionist and a personal trainer for six months, a year, some amount mm. of time to see if there's a shift in your situation, mm. it was just straight to like pharmacology and surgery, mm. and I, I, I just I was just floored. And I same thing mm. happened with my son who I nursed mm. him. He didn't never ha or he had like you know a handful of formula bottles, but he had low iron, mm. and the pediatrician immediately wanted to give him an iron supplement just because that's just what they do. And I said, now that this is in my hands, can I have thirty days to change some make some changes in his diet? And they looked at me like, well, no one's ever asked that before. <laughs> like, yeah, this is a bit weird. This is so weird. And like, luckily, the you know she's a nurse practitioner in the practice, and she knows that I'm kind of a hippie, but. I went home and I Googled like how to raise your iron levels and I gave him some pate, chicken liver pate that I made from scratch and hard boiled egg yolks. Mm -hmm. And within 30 days, he was fine. Absolutely. And so like, there is a real need for educators to come and say, look, you may be able to solve a lot of your illness, sickness, discomfort, whatever it is, by some of the food choices that you make. Yeah. So what are some of the things that you recommend to people that they change? Well, I've got a little bit of a summary of five points, and it was recently um, an article that I wrote for Mind Body Green that just keeps getting, you know, retweeted and keeps coming up. And I summarized basically the five essential elements that I bring out in my book, Cooking and Eating Wisdom for Better Health. I mean, the details is, is in there. But one of the very important um, factors that we forget about before food is in ancient Greece, it was very important for people to attain uh, health or to lose weight was 
to think good thoughts. Hmm. That was the quote. And before you enter the Oracle of Delphi, think good thoughts, nothing in excess. Yeah. And so so I think stress and all of that, like really, if you think about the decisions it causes you to make, I I made a decision after I gave birth to my son that when I was going to start drinking wine again, Mm -hmm. because I'm I'm a sommelier and I love to I love to drink wine. Yeah. That I wasn't going to drink wine out of stress anymore, like or anxiety, and it's really changed my enjoyment and my like focus because there are and there are, there are days when I still am like I need a glass of wine because yeah. I know it'll take the like edge off, but I'm much more conscientious about not drinking out of anxious you know anxiousness or any of that stuff. So I, I completely agree with you on that. Fantastic, point. and it was the whole notion of agape or unconditional love. So I, I go through, you know, the, the, the detail of what the think good thoughts is and, and so on. And a lot of illnesses in ancient Greece and even today, because I had a huge weight issue. Mm-hmm. And my weight issue was as a consequence of my thoughts. Mm-hmm. So once I changed my thoughts, my body and what it craved completely changed and the kilos just came off effortlessly. So the, the second um, point that I make is to adopt a Mediterranean type style diet. I don't say the Mediterranean diet, I say Mediterranean type style. Why? Because when I studied the word diet, which is an ancient Greek word from Hippocrates, because people don't know that the first diet was in ancient Greece by Hippocrates. And what's happened, and this is the next book that I'm writing called Diet Wisdom, where I basically say every diet on the market has made a mockery. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And if we went back to the original diet, we wouldn't need all these other diets that are really money-making schemes as far as I'm concerned. Um, and a lot of people you know, find me a little bit political, but I like to say the truth because I've gone to the source. So what do I mean by that? Essentially, when we look at the Mediterranean-style type diet, which my family in Greece lives to over 100. Wow. So exactly. So I'm looking at them. What are they eating? Um, are there any that you're looking at like, God? If only you only lived 89. <laughs> yeah. Well, they don't look their age. This, yeah. this is it. You know, it's, it's amazing. And, and people are looking at photos. Thinking, is this, are they really 99? Yeah. I'm saying, yeah, oh, my God, they look 60. And so they think good thoughts, as we said before. The second component is that they eat predominantly fruit and vegetables. Uh, they uh, have quite a bit of seafood because they're on an island surrounded by sea. Meat is a special occasion. So they'll have it Easter, Christmas, birthday birthday, weddings, it's not an every week occurrence. Mm-hmm. Um, not only that, because they're or so... every day or every meal. Yeah. <laughs> well, they're so close to the animals and they love them that they're reluctant to sort of put them on the dinner table. So that's another c- component there. Um, and also, um, they do have a lot of cheese, but the cheese is goat and sheep, not sort of cows. Uh, they have bread in moderation, but a lot of pulses. So a lot of um, lentils, beans, that sort of stuff. So that is the dominant component over as far as protein is concerned instead of the others. So that was the second. But I think the third component that I, I, I noticed and I say from ancient times is we didn't eating conscious ingredients. So cooking consciously and eating conscious ingredients is the third component to longevity. What I mean by that is they are aware of where the food has come from. So it doesn't have chemicals. It doesn't have pesticides. It's not genetically modified. The animal has been treated with respect and love that they're about to eat. Because my ancient ancestors believed, and I believe the same thing, that if we're going to consume pain, 
So, for example, caged eggs, there's a lot of pain with those poor little chickens. That pain gets ingested. So don't be surprised, the ancient Greeks would say, if you have a lot of pain or anger or just negative things happening in your life, you've introduced it. So be conscious of that. I like, I've never heard that. I like that yeah. idea. I mean, it sounds, you know, it sounds a little like super hippie but i think it even if it's let's just say um it's a matter of how you think about it like if those chickens didn't live a good life you're it's not going to be the best meat that you can get and that is a very straight line and like uh, you know, I firmly, be- I have a flock of chickens of my own because I want to know where my yeah. food comes from. That, okay, so I, I cut you off again. Sorry. So no, no, you <laughs> didn't. No, you didn't at all. So we get the the feel there, and and again, you know, one of my biggest things is oils. You know, one of the thing that really shocked me, you know, shocks me both here and in Sydney, where I'm from, is um, you know the use of never not very good oils. You know, a lot of genetically modified cottonseed, canola, and I see it on TV shows as well, and I'm almost in tears to be honest with you, thinking. You're not promoting, you're not being very responsible chefs and promoting really good, you know, practices and health if you can't get your basics right. So I'm a big advocate of olive oil and a lot of people say to me, you can't deep fry. And I say, well, you know, we've been deep frying in Greece for 5,000 years. So I'm not quite sure why it is that you can't deep fry. with. So then wait, clarify that for me. Is it that you don't deep fry in extra virgin olive oil? We actually do deep fry in extra virgin olive oil. It's just that you need to be conscious and intuitive and of course you can't put it in those deep fries I mean you would be kidding ourselves but in Greece what they do because they do deep fry everything in extra virgin olive oil Mm -hmm. um, is they use the smaller ones and of or woks Mm -hmm. and of course it's not an oil that you can keep using and using and using and using so from a cost effective point of view it's not economical let's Mm -hmm. face Mm -hmm. it but I suppose in Greece because there's an abundance of it price is not an issue so i think it's not about not being able to use it to deep fry i think the issue more is a cost issue and people try to make it a deep frying issue i mean that's what i perceive to be the 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 truth when i speak to sort of a lot of chefs because in my cooking school we used to deep fry and people would say oh my god why is everybody saying we can't do it and we're doing it and they would go back home and do it but they would say marie you're right you really cannot have a glass of wine and have a conversation Mm -hmm. and leave it there on the hot plate you really need to be connected to the whole ritual of deep frying and you know be careful so it is it's a different technique because you are being much more mindful of your coating and the thickness that you've sliced something and your temperatures and all that so it's not just fill your deep fryer with canola oil and drop some breaded chicken fingers in it exactly so i think it's an oil that makes you far more aware of what you're doing and you're cooking mm-hmm. and so um the fourth point i'm just so i can mm-hmm, summarize mm-hmm. so the fourth point that i make and that hippocrates used to make it if everybody would exercise moderate exercise each day we would have an epidemic of health. (laughs) So he was very big at his hospital and whenever he healed people, in addition to other therapies that he used, like light therapy and so on that I go into my book, massage therapy, sound therapy was really important. Um, You know, there was all these therapies, um, which I discuss, but it it was compulsory for everybody to work, to walk every day, sorry, at least 30 minutes to an hour. And isn't it interesting that we now have this 30 minutes as well? What year was this? This was 
Oh, this was BC. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, it astounds me some of the parallels that I found that they were doing in ancient times. And I'm thinking, oh, my God, this 30 minutes has turned up again. What's going on? But that there was also a problem then, too, that he was in a position to have to give these guidelines. So it's we just haven't learned, maybe, in the amount of time. I mean, so my rule is that I have to break a sweat every day. And it, yeah. it happened when, or it became much easier when my son was young or old enough to go in the stroller. Yeah. And now I can now I don't have to worry about him for an hour, and we jog for anywhere from three to five miles, and it's great, and I love it, and it's really not onerous, and it's really not that hard, yeah. and I feel so much better. Yeah. And doesn't it reduce your stress? I also find I do a lot of calm thinking for the mm-hmm. day ahead. It mm-hmm. just sets the scene. Yep. And I have my even my husband now will say, "Did you go for a run today?" If I'm like, particularly <laughs> <laughs> "Oh, should I talk to her? Am I ready to talk to her? go for that run?" Right. Or if I'm like particularly ornery, he'll be like, "Maybe yeah. you know, tomorrow you should go for a run." <laughs> yeah, I love it. And what what's been amazing to me is how little effort you have to put in in terms of exercise, and you get tenfold return. And that's like, if, so if I put in thirty minutes of real vigorous activity, even just like a mm. brisk walk, yeah. I feel better for the rest of the whole yeah. day. And I used to joke that I would only run if a bear was chasing me. And then it wasn't funny anymore. You know, then it was like, (laughs) what am I, what am I proud of here? I'm not, I'm proud of being lazy, basically. And I didn't like that anymore. Yeah. Yeah. And look, I mean, he was an advocate of walking, Mm -hmm. um, which I think is amazing. And, 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 you know, here in, you know, sort of New York, um, there is so many beautiful places we can walk, so many parks, every corner. So there's really no excuse. And we can make it like a little bit of an adventure. Mm -hmm. So we're very, very uh, fortunate here. And the fifth point that I make that's really important, this is summarizing like an entire book here, um, is as Aesop would would say, eat with peace and calm. Because if we're not eating with peace and calm, we're really not connecting with our food and connecting with ourselves. And sometimes we're eating mindlessly or not eating the right things. And one of the things I teach as a health coach, because a lot of people come to me with a lot of weight issues or or whatever, and I always find that they're just not connecting with the food and eating mindlessly. And what happens is the body is not absorbing the right minerals as well. It's not digesting it properly, and they've got digestive issues. And sometimes they're eating so quickly, and they're eating in excess. So it's sort of becoming aware and connecting. Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, with the whole ritual of food and um, and and just enjoying it. You enjoy it more. It heightens the experience. I love the tip to put your fork down between every bite, which is so simple. And if you force yourself to do it, you realize you really do eat far less because your brain has time to register that you're satiated, not that you are denying yourself half the plate of food. But if I'm, you know, in a rush and I go through a drive-through, I will eat the whole thing of French fries, not because I want them, but because I'm just like, oh, I just got, I got to eat because I got to go to class, I got to go to this, I got to that. Absolutely, and that's why in ancient times they had a, a lot of performances happening in between meals. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. they would have a comedy act or a philosopher like Socrates or someone would come and talk. 
But another important thing that Aesop and many others preached was the conversation was very important. So there's a funny uh, little example that I've got in my book where someone starts boasting about, you know, the boar that they attacked and they hunted. And um, and he suggested that if someone should come up with an ego-focused conversation like that that did not create a good atmosphere and could not involve, dev- involve everybody in the conversation and it wasn't peaceful, he says, just look up at the tapestry and start making a beautiful comment about how amazing and beautiful the tapestry is and just cut them off. <laughs> <laughs> so there's some really funny stories like yeah. that and it's all about the peace and calm and everybody feeling peaceful and no one really disturbed that energy flow. It was all about the energy flow you at the end of the day. You have amazing energy. I could talk to you all day. You are just a wonderful conversationalist. Believe it or not, we are out of time. Oh, I'm so sorry. No, I know. I this is going forever. No, this is wonderful. So you yeah. are at Greekalicious on Twitter. Yeah. And um, Maria Bernardis, you are also teaching at the Natural Gourmet Institute. That's correct. Tell yeah. everyone about that class. Yeah, so so I'm really excited. The first class is in December and, uh, and it's just been put online. So it's mid-December and then I'm doing a special Valentine's Day one. So very important, the focus there is good organic ingredients and I'm doing everything basically vegetarian and vegan. So what I've done is I've changed all the traditional Greek dishes and modern dishes that I do and they're vegan, vegetarian, but I also do gluten-free options as well and um, lactose, like milk-free. And what I'm trying to say is we can cook the Greek cuisine to accommodate for every single dietary requirement and and doing something a little bit different and left off center so for example i've got a beautiful olive oil chocolate mousse with mastic chewing gum which is a a greek chewing gum Hmm. so i'm trying to introduce ancient ingredients into the menus um, and trying to say to new york you know what you really haven't had some of this amazing Greek food that was done in ancient times and I just and, and, and the Natural Gourmet Institute is fantastic in them they're letting me get that creative that's awesome and teach people this stuff so yeah. I'll ask you before we run out of time I'll ask you a question that I got asked this week that I don't I didn't know the answer off the top of my head can you make vegan spaghetti pasta at yeah. home like at home you know you can make regular with eggs if you have eggs and flour you can make pasta can you make a vegan version um, well, pasta you can also make in Greece. We make it with just olive oil and flour. And if you wanted the gluten-free option, and water, sorry, I beg your pardon, I forgot the water and a bit of salt. Or you could use quinoa flour nowadays mm-hmm. to make pasta as, as well with the olive oil and, and water and a little bit of salt. So, yes, you can. And another option that I do is, of course, which everybody's doing, is with the zucchini, the squash, the right. summer squash right. is, is another way. But it certainly works without eggs as well. So it's just yeah. substituting olive oil for eggs. So Absolutely. I have to remember to give that person that answer. She'll be, yeah. so, she'll be so happy yeah. to hear that. Yeah. Maria Bernardis, thank you so much for coming on Sharp and Hot. I want to give a shout out to our official coffee sponsor, Craft Coffee. I got my September, no, my, gosh, what month are we in? My November delivery. <laughs> <laughs> Time goes by. My November delivery, and it's like, I, I get an email when it's shipping, and I go out to my mailbox a couple days later, and there's a little care package of coffee that's been handcrafted by artisans from all over the world, roasted 
uh, anyway, I mean, there's one in there this month, I think, from Texas and one from Brooklyn and one from and the beans are from all over the place. And I, it, they each come with their own little story written on the label. Sometimes I forget the specifics because it's five o'clock in the morning and I'm trying to make my coffee. But it truly, truly is a subscription service worth investing in. It's completely affordable and it gives you that little like boost on the weekends to have your special cup of coffee. Go to craftcoffee.com, enter code SHARP at checkout, and get 10% off of your order. Until next week, everybody, keep playing with fire and knives. Thanks for listening to this program on heritageradionetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can email us questions anytime at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a 501c3 nonprofit. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening. Talk about food.